Just a few technical difficulties this morning. Welcome to the 10 a.m. instead of the 10.30. Maybe that's why we're having some technical difficulties because we were all here at like, you know, very early in the morning. <laughs> also, if you notice I have a big wet spot on my pants, it's because right before I came up here, I spilled water all over myself. So if you're wondering how the morning's going, now you know. How are you? Shout out to everyone who just like is struggled to get out of bed this morning, but we're here. Shout out. Listen, there's some waves from the back. I see you back there. Yes, everyone on that couch is probably thinking the same thing. Good work, everyone. All right. Well, I'm Ashley Abercrombie. My husband, husband and I, Cody, pastor down here at Liberty Downtown. We're a church planting church, so we have a bunch of different ones, but this is where we pastor. So if you're new, I see a ton of new faces. Welcome. We're so happy to have you. Also, if you started school, can you give me a wave? If you're in college, just starting. Right. There's a squad. Everybody give it up for the squad. That's like hashtag squad goals right there. Good work, welcome. We're so glad that you guys are here. We're in our relationship series, which is every single fall we take time to do this because relationships are so important, are they not? Are they the thing that drives us the most crazy about life? And also the very thing that has the most power to heal us, to restore us, to make us feel not so alone in this world. So relationships are really important. And today I have the honor and privilege of talking about radical reconciliation, but what it really is is a message on conflict. Ooh, look at your neighbor and say, conflict. Look at your second choice and say, I don't like it. So just rest assured, if you don't like conflict or you do, some personalities are very hardwired for it. I would be one of them. I enjoy it. I'm not afraid of it. I'm pretty fearless when it comes to it, except in my most intimate relationships. And then I really struggle to tell the truth, to be honest, to be intimate. So isn't that interesting? I can fight everywhere but at home. <laughs> and I'm like, what is happening? So we're all a mixed bag when it comes to conflict. Sometimes it feels easy, sometimes it feels natural, sometimes it feels instinctual, and sometimes we hide and we avoid and we do anything we can to not have conflict. But tension and resistance is actually the only way that we grow. There will never be a relationship in your life that is intimate and good and connective if there is no conflict. If there's no conflict, you don't have a relationship. Isn't that why we watch movies and 17 Netflix shows in a row? is because there's some sort of conflict, there's some sort of tension that needs to be resolved. So conflict is very normal. My dear friend Catherine is an educator. She's a phenomenal human being, has her master's degree. She works in, in Arizona and teaches second grade. And we were talking about TV shows that are available for children and I was of course complaining that there aren't very many that are good for my kids to watch so they don't turn them into whiners or like make them start hitting me in the face. So I'm like, what do I do? And then she started talking about how the problem with kids' TV shows and the reason that none of them are very good it's because all they see is fighting. And there's no resolution, and there's no process. And then at the end of the show, somebody won, and somebody's a bad guy, and that's it. So it's quite dualistic, but that matters. And I think the same is true for us as adults. We watch all this media, we watch all the things that we're watching, and what happens in the episode? There's a conflict. And then what happens? There's a fight. And it never really gets resolved. It's not like they sit down and have a healthy dialogue or wait till three episodes later when it really get resolved, like in real life. Because anybody just resolve a conflict immediately in 45 minutes, you're like, this was great, thanks. <laughs> no, it's not real life. And then on TV, we watch them resolve conflict with things like sex. Okay, not very helpful because the conflict's still waiting for you when you're done. And so we're learning all kinds of things and we are underestimating media's impact on our mind and on our relationships and on our heart. And we have false expectations of how conflict should go. And we have false expectations of what intimacy really is. And it's important that we talk about conflict. And there's hope for us. 
So no matter your upbringing, no matter if you were in a household that was very volatile and abusive, no matter if you were in a household where avoidance was key to survival, like you didn't talk about nothing, or if you were in a household that had a little bit of both, there's hope for us. Scripture has words to help us deal with conflict, and it is unavoidable. So let's pray and ask God to be with us as we trust him this morning. God, I thank you. Lord, we have all come in here with our different upbringings, our different backgrounds, God, and we are all sitting in different places with you and with others. And so I pray, Lord, that through this message, you will help each of us to learn to engage in healthy conflict. You would help us grow in our relationships, God, that you would continue to lead us by your spirit, God, so that we could have a full understanding of what it means to be loving both ourselves and you and others. So God, help us. We wanna understand what reconciliation really is, God, and we wanna be the kind of people who don't back down from telling the truth and who don't back down from conflict, God, but people who can say, you know what, this is the truth and I wanna be connected to you, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna have this fight with you so we can grow closer. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us God, we wanna be more like you. So shape us and mold us according to your word, God, according to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do you wanna hear a little conflict Cody and I had when we were dating? Everybody like dating stories? Very fun. So Cody used to work really hard. He still does, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's all the same. I've just gotten very used to it. He works very hard. And at his old job, he got called in on a Saturday when we were supposed to be having a little date day. We were already in the car, and it got cut short because the person that he was working with at the time needed some help doing something. Whew, y'all, I was mad. I'm like, look, tomorrow we're gonna be at church all day, and the one day I have with you is Saturday. So could you not? Like, can they find someone else to help on a Saturday? Anyone? Have y'all ever dealt with that? In your dating relationship, not enough time, not enough whatever. That's how I was. And then all of a sudden, I'm sitting in the car. I am fuming mad. And he's like, I got to go drop you off. We lived close to each other at the time. I got to go drop you off, and I've got to go help. And I'm fuming. Like, I am so upset. I'm like, fine. <laughs> Sounds fine. Great. Good. Great. And he drops me off. And I get around the corner, and I felt the Holy Spirit so strongly say, that is my son. And I was like, say what? It's like, that is my son. And that's not an appropriate way to treat my son. And then God started dealing with me about my attitude because in my heart, I was so angry and so mad. And I felt like, what the heck? I get limited amount of time with you already. And now I'm just mad that I still am not going to have any time with you. But what I had failed to remember is that he didn't owe me anything. I wasn't entitled to anything. He was doing the right thing by doing his job. That's what his job required. And so for me, I had to start going, God, I'm so sorry for the way I treat others when I'm angry. I'm so sorry that even if something doesn't come out of my mouth, God, what's going on inside of me is so ugly. And I can't pretend that you don't see it, God. And how we think inside our heart, the Proverbs say, so are we. And Jesus even goes a step further with anger. In the New Testament, he says, if you have even thought about someone, being angry at someone, it's the same as murdering them. What? Because God is concerned with the attitude of the heart. He's concerned with what we're thinking. He's concerned with what these thoughts will produce in our life. And so I turned my butt around and said, Cody, can you please come down? I said, I'm so sorry. I feel very angry. That's not your fault, but I feel very angry about this. Can we talk about it? And we had a reasonable conversation that was awesome. <laughs> and that's how it should go. Instead of me being mad for 17 days and letting compound, 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 and then having a big blow up where I list all the things I'm mad about. Anyone? Am I preaching to myself? Yes, okay, several hands. Thank you, ladies, the only honest people right there. I see you. Because we're all like this, let's be real. You know, 2 Corinthians 5 is one of my favorite um, Bible chapters. If you're new to the faith, you could just stick your nose in that thing for a year long. 
and get to know God and get to know what it means to really serve God, to be a new believer in Christ Jesus, because that's what it talks about. He who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And then it goes on to talk about how God has given us this ministry of reconciliation. On the cross, the finished work of the cross, God reconciled himself to us. And therefore we are hidden in Christ, which means we are reconciled to God. And then therefore we can be reconciled to others. He gives us a ministry of reconciliation. And sometimes we think about reconciliation as one of those things where you're like, oh, it's a big blow up. Or there was a huge fight or something terrible happened. And yes, those things do need reconciliation, but we fail to remember that reconciliation is a daily habitual practice. We are very tempted all the time to be mad at people. I don't know if you live in New York. I think you do. You're all here. But people are mad. Mad on the subway, mad in the car, mad. Mad on their job, cranky, angry. <laughs> and God has given us this ministry of reconciliation to deal with our anger, to deal with our stuff so that we can be kind to others. So the scripture we're gonna focus on today is from Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, and it says this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What a powerful scripture. Wrath and anger. You know, sometimes we don't even recognize that we have anger living on the inside of us. We're like, I'm a very nice person, I'm fine. Everything's great, I never get mad. Do you know things like procrastination are a form of anger? Because you've said yes to something that you don't really want to do, and now you're mad that you wanna, don't want to do it, and you don't do it, and you're still mad, it's just sitting there, we're procrastinating. That's what's really going on. <laughs> it's deep, it's untapped, but it's in there. <laughs> anger is a real struggle for so many people. It doesn't have a personality type. It's not just for loud people who can express anger loudly. Anger is something that we all deal with. Jesus himself expressed anger in the New Testament. We see it. And then bitterness. And clamor, which is the one I really want to focus on for a second, because I was like, what is clamor? I don't really understand what the word means. Looked it up. It means confusing noise. Clamor, confusing noise. And I thought about this world that we're living in, this digital age that we're living in. How much clamor do we have? How much confusing noise is out there? I sat with a group of women yesterday, and one of the gals was saying, Ashley, the thing is, by the time I'm done with the end of my day, I can't hear God at all. I have so gone through social media. I have listened to all kinds of other people. I've heard 14 podcasts and my job and all these things, and I can't hear God. I'm like, that's clamor. It's confusing noise. And the more input we take without taking time to be still, time to rest with God, the more confusing noise we experience. And then slander, character assassination. And then malice. We call this in the South pure meanness. <laughs> my grandma would just say, he is just pure meanness. <laughs> And without putting away those things, you can't get to the kind to one another, tender-hearted and forgiving. So those are the things that we have to put away. So let's talk about four approaches to pursue radical reconciliation when you are in a conflict. Are you guys ready? You got conflicts you're in right now? Uh-huh, me too. All right, so the first thing, approach conflict with help. Approach conflict with help. Pray before reacting. I'm gonna, get, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna keep going on this in a second, but pray before reacting. Here's a simple prayer because I'm not talking about over-spiritualizing your issues and saying, I really need to pray about this. Don't do that, it's weird. Talk about the issue. That's a, that is a way to avoid actually doing the hard work of conflict. That's what that really is. So pray before reacting. A simple prayer, help, please, thank you. The Holy Spirit knows. Help, please, thank you. God, help me close my mouth and not say the thing that I'm about to say. Please and thank you. 
Take a moment to pray. When we do, it gives us space to sort of examine our heart, to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit and also to have faith for a healthy interaction. Walk away, take a break, ask for help. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a work meeting and I will say, excuse me while I go to the restroom. I'm not going to the restroom, I'm going to calm down. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's what happens, I'm gonna go calm down. Take a break, walk away, it's okay. Take a minute to pray, take a minute to collect yourself. And this is also pray before reacting is like one of those things that preaches well, but it doesn't always live well because we have well-worn patterns of doing things. So pray before reacting is not very helpful if the only thing you know how to do is gunshot react or you're throwing something across the room or you're just like, so we have to just take a minute. If you're that person, just walk away. (laughs) I've done that before. I'm like, I know what's... And I'll come back, it's gonna be okay. But what's about to happen would not be okay. So this is what I want you to do if that's your struggle, is to get great at saying you're sorry. I'm so sorry, I blew it. I reacted in a way that I'm not happy about. I'm so sorry, I said some things I shouldn't have said. I did some things I shouldn't have done. And just be a person who's willing to repent and make a plan for change. If you don't make a plan for change, that well-worn pattern in your brain will just keep going. You will just keep jumping on that thing every time there's a conflict. Whether it's avoidance or reacting or whatever it is, you'll just jump right on that train. And so you have to find a plan for change. You have to submit to the Holy Spirit and also to healthy accountability. God wants to guide us through conflict. He really does wanna help you. And when we invite the Holy Spirit to lead us, we're not relying on our own conflict resolution or our own ways of reacting, our normal well-worn paths. We are asking God for his way. What's your way in this conflict, God? How can I do it well? And when we invite others to help us, we grow. Ask for help. If your boss is the pain in the you-know-what, ask for help. Maybe there's a manager on the staff that you could say, hey, what's the best way to approach this issue with my boss? Could you help me? This is really hard for me to talk about, and I'm very scared to do it. Can you help? Maybe there's a coworker that's just driving you crazy, and you know you need to have that difficult conversation that you're avoiding. So ask someone for help. Hey, this is the issue I wanna talk about. Could you maybe give me some pointers on how I could communicate with them effectively so they'll hear me? If you keep running into the same issue with your spouse over and over and over and over and over again, ask for help. Somebody who's married has already been through what you're walking through and learned how to ask for help. Okay, you want some tips? Are you ready? Okay, here's some tips that Cody and I always have. Use I statements. Instead of you, (laughs) I. (laughs) Because when you communicate with I statements, you begin to own your stuff. You're saying there's two of us in this conversation and even though I'm upset right now, I will use an I statement instead of blaming you for everything under the sun. You never do the dishes. It makes me feel very frustrated when you don't do the dishes. It feels hard for me at the end of the workday. Can we talk about a better way to do this? How can I help? That's like, diffuse the other person already. Now you're actually gonna get something done. Use I statements. Avoid always and never. You never do the dishes. I'll just keep returning to that one. Don't use never and always. When you do that, you immediately make the person feel like they're failing. You immediately make them feel like they can't do anything right. And then the issue is not about whether or not they do the issues, it's the dishes. It's about whether or not they ever do anything right. And now you've lost. So make sure that you don't say never and always. Cody and I ask a lot of questions to each other too in a conflict. We'll say, and I do this at work. I do this in my peer relationship, so it works everywhere. But we'll say, when you said this, it made me feel like this. Is that what you intended? 
And when you just ask a simple question, instead of blowing up at one another or totally avoiding the issue, you can find out what were your real intentions? What were you really trying to communicate to me with without leading somebody into a big fight? And then we have a group of friends that we do accountability questions. And the questions are hardcore. They're like, is there a person or circumstance that's robbing you of joy? Do you like the person you're becoming? Is your heart for God growing or shrinking? Are you faithful with regular worship and service? I could ask all these hard questions. And then the last one is, did you lie on any of your answers? <laughs> I love it so much. But that one, is there a person or circumstance that's robbing you of joy, stands out to me for conflict. Because I have to remember, what is this thing that's breeding in me about this person or this event or this thing or this organization? And then I'm realizing it's robbing me of joy and it doesn't have that kind of power. If we give a person or an organization or a group of people the power to take our joy, we've conceded something that doesn't belong to them. So we have to hold on to that so that in conflict we can still remain joyful. We can still remain healthy. The fruit of the Spirit. I love it so much. You'll hear me talk about it all the time if this is your home church. Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And this is what we're supposed to outwork in the world. This is what believers are supposed to operate in. And that is the opposite of anger, wrath, bitterness, all the things that we heard earlier. We live by the Spirit so we can approach conflict with help. The second thing is we approach conflict with purpose. Know the goal. Are you fighting just to fight? <laughs> or is there an actual end game in mind? Because if there's not an end game in mind, it's going to be really, really difficult for you to have conflict that will produce something you want to see. Cody has this great analogy that he uses, and he talks about getting on the same side of the problem. Because sometimes the problem's right here in the middle of us, and the other person's on the other side. And we're trying to resolve the conflict like this. And he just says, just get on the same side of the problem and attack that together. Instead of attacking each other, get on the same side of the problem. You both want to find a, an end result that works in a mutually beneficial way. Whether it's with the coworker, it's with the boss, it's with the teacher, it's with your husband, it's with the partner, it's with the friend. You want to get on the same side of the problem. So know your goal. And the purpose always is connection and understanding. That's what brings intimacy. That's the purpose of conflict. When we go be honest with one another and have a conflict, it produces connection, it produces understanding, it produces intimacy. Most people in conflict have three different responses. One is fight. So you fight and just stay mad. The next one is flight. So you avoid all issues by sweeping them under the rug. And the other one is freeze. So emotionally, after endless arguments with no resolution in sight, you just emotionally freeze. And what's so dangerous about this one is that you can actually be going through the external emotions and steps and whatever needs to happen. And at the same time, on the inside, you are absolutely disconnecting. But no one knows. Uh-huh. That ministered to someone. I see you. <laughs> but isn't that true? You wonder to yourself, how did they get divorced? Like, they just left? Or you think, where's that person? I haven't seen them in like a year. And then you realize they've been disconnecting the whole entire time because they were afraid to have a conflict. Or there was a constant conflict that couldn't be resolved. And so people begin to disconnect. Conflict resolution is successful when you can solve problems and let it go. Solve a problem and let it go. Fighting just to fight will never be beneficial for you. It says this in James. And if you want just like some hardcore Bible, read the book of James. He says this, do you know where your fights and arguments come from? Are y'all ready? They come from the selfish desires that war within you. <sighs> you want things, but you do not have them. So you're ready to kill and are jealous of other people, but you still cannot get what you want. So you argue and fight. You do not get what you want because you do not ask God so powerful that the things that we're fighting about so often come from the inside of us, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. Don't be mad just to be mad. 
that's not helping nobody. It certainly ain't helping you. Is it working? It's not working. We got to change that. <laughs> and we can change and we can fight fair and fight fast. So here's some questions to ask when you're about to engage in a conflict. These are the ones that I practice personally. God, is this about me and what I want? Or is this about something that's important for our relationship to grow? Me and this person, me and this organization, is it important? Is there a log in my eye? Like it says in Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. Do they have a little speck of dust that I'm trying to get out, but I got a a massive log that's like whacking everybody in the head because I've got all this unresolved conflict? (laughs) Is it just a different way? Because my way is not the way, and a different way is not a bad way. Sometimes organizations, bosses, people, friends, partners, they just do it a different way, but it doesn't make their way bad. You know, if you have a spouse who's slower to pick stuff up off the bathroom floor, that's just a way. You don't have to nag them every single time they don't do it. Just let it ride. Do they pick up their shorts the next morning? Cool, let it ride. Is it worth fighting? It's not going to change. Can you handle 24 hours of shorts on the floor? Yes, you can. Will you die? No, it's not worth fighting about. It's just a different way. What's your motivation? That's my other question. What's my motivation here? Do I have an agenda or am I very hopeful for a good outcome? Or do I just want to prove my point? I just want to let you know what's up. Yes, I saw some hands. I feel you. Is this really about that or is something deeper going on in me? If I blow up in traffic, which I have many times, then I know, okay, God, that should have been like a two. And I'm popping off at at like a five to ten. So what's really going on? Because I know I'm going to, my kids are in the backseat, number one, watching this anger. Number two, I'm going to carry that at home because there's no healthy way to get it out before this car ride is over. So I need to ask God, what's really going on in me, God? Why am I so angry? This is not about that, so help me. And then what are my triggers? So sometimes people can use the tone with me. If somebody's condescending to me, it's just like, you probably have some of the things that just bother you. <laughs> we all do, right? But if somebody's condescending, whoa, boy, you're going to see me go through the roof. I have to really, that's my like, bye. <laughs> and then I'll come back and be gracious. <laughs> Is, what are my triggers? Know them. Know what they are so when they get pressed, you don't have to react. But if you don't know what your triggers are and you're constantly firing off or avoiding or whatever you're doing in those moments, you probably just don't know what your triggers are. Is this worth it? Will it help? And the answer to that in marriage or close relationships is always. It's always worth it. The best marriage advice I ever got was talk about everything. Don't leave anything off the table. Don't have things that you hide in drawers somewhere and never, ever address, never, ever talk about. Things that, oh, I hope that'll just go away. It doesn't go away. (laughs) So make sure that nothing's off the table. And the same is true for your close friendships. But sometimes at work, If you don't have the power to change something, don't beat your head against the wall for two years of your life, hoping it will change, trying to make it change, let it go. If you don't have a voice, if you don't have a vote, then let it go. It's not worth you being mad about. Just pray for them and pray about it because it's not worth it. But in marriage, close relationships, it always is. Because as believers, the goal isn't to be right because that's prideful. And the goal isn't to get our way, that's selfish, but the goal is reconciliation because that's love. We want to find a way to be reconciled. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but Jesus sums up the great, all the Ten Commandments in two. And he says, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I've heard a pastor say that people do love others as they love themselves, and that's the problem. 
So I think sometimes we can be in so much tension with ourselves, so much conflict with ourselves, so much warring going on side, on the inside of us that it bleeds out into our other relationships. It's very difficult not to be in conflict with others when you are not at peace with yourself. And one more thing in the area of conflict and keeping it on purpose is to stick to the original issue. If you started fighting about timeliness, for example, you know, maybe you're upset at one of your employees who just keeps coming in late every single day. But then when you sit down to meet with them, you start telling them about all the other things that they're not doing wrong. And then by the end of it, they feel like a total failure. They don't want to hear anything you have to say. This is a conflict gone wrong. Stick to the issue. If it's about timeliness, talk about timeliness. And you want to address something else, do it another time. Or prepare them. I have a few things I'd love to talk to you about. Okay? And then a great help in conflict as well is to set a timer. I love this. A mentor taught me this. She said, let them know that there's a beginning. And thank God there will be an end. It's brilliant advice. If you're getting ready to have a major conflict, can I have 30 minutes of your time and discipline yourself to stick to it? Can I have 15 minutes to chat to you about X, Y, or Z and discipline yourself to stick to it? And the people will feel like, okay, this is going to end at some point. I'm not gonna die. I can give you half an hour of my life and it will help. (laughs) And remember that love keeps no record of wrongs. That's what it tells us in 1 Corinthians 13. No record of wrongs. It's not easily angered. It's not irritable. It's not self-seeking. So if you have a running list with someone in your life, it's long, like a CVS receipt. (laughs) You're going to want to start forgiving some things and let some things go because that thing's like a veil just trailing around, (laughs) stinking up everything. (laughs) You're going to want to start letting some things go. Love keeps no record of wrongs. So ask God to help you. Holy Spirit, how can I let this go? This list is too long. What can I kick off, Lord? And what do you really want me to deal with on this list? All right, so the next thing, we approach conflict with kindness. Kindness. Do you know that everything does not have to be resolved for you to be okay? I will testify. You can be kind to one another even though you're mad. You can be considerate of another person even though they are stressing you the heck out. You do not have to be rude. You do not have to be mean. You do not have to stand there and mm mm-hmm all day because it's rude. It says more about you than the other person. And it's okay to be mad. Again, I'm not saying don't get mad. I deal with anger all the time. It's a thing. But we can't just hold on to it like that. You can treat each other with kindness. I remember working for a beautiful family when I was in my early 20s, the Grants. And they had one little boy. And one thing I noticed about them, man, these two could be, they they ran a business together. They were together 24-7. They were married. We had a tiny little space. I was living with them. I don't even know how they did it. I'd be like, get out of my house, everyone. (laughs) But no matter what was going on, whether there was a huge conflict in their business, a huge conflict in their marriage, as soon as one of them would come home, the other would get up, greet them at the door, give them a kiss on the cheek, connect about their day, even though they were fighting. And I was like, this is a miracle. This must be just these guys, you're unicorns, you know? Because in my household, we didn't grow up doing that. We were either very, very volatile or very, very silent, and there was nothing in between. And there were some issues that were just untouchables, like you just did not touch them. And if you did, it was like the wrath of God was coming into this house. And so because I grew up that way, I didn't know that it didn't have to be so dualistic. I didn't know that it could be nuanced in conflict, that you could actually still enjoy one another, that you could talk about things, that everything doesn't have to be resolved for us to be okay. You can be in conflict and still be kind. Okay, a quick list of things to avoid that will help you be kind. Name calling. Just stop it. Just stop that. Especially if you are a Christian. Stop. No name calling. Figure out why you're doing that. Cursing. You know, don't curse at people. Just stop it. 
Do it. It's New York. I mean, people curse on the prayer lines. I'm not talking about that. Do what you do. I'm talking about don't curse at people. When you are in the middle of the fight, you start using cuss words. You've lost the other one. Goodbye. They're gone. It's like, you're not cussing at me. Goodbye. I'm out. I know that's the thing. I'll pick up a chair and hit you in the head if you start cussing at me. Like, I, this is no games, okay? No games. The other thing, stop threatening abandonment. Don't threaten to leave. Yes, take a minute, take a break, sure. Don't threaten to leave because then the, the relationship foundation is not safe and it's not stable. And if it's not safe and it's not stable, you cannot have a healthy conflict. Stop threatening abandonment. And then abuse of any kind, whether it is verbal or neglect or physical or emotional or spiritual, it is never okay. It is never okay. If you are an abuser or if you're in a situation right now where you are being abused, we want to help. If there are ways that we could help you, we have resources, we have connections to counseling. We are not professional licensed counselors, so we will most definitely help you get that outside of our church, but we will help you because you don't have to live that way. You don't have to stay in that kind of bondage, even if it's the only thing that you know. And you can come see us on the prayer line at the end of this service, and we would love to help you quietly and with discretion. We will not reveal your information or share anything, but we would love to help you. And we know this is real for people. We've seen it over the years. And so make sure if that's you, come get help. We want to be someone who can point you in the right direction. Proverbs 12, 18 says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. How powerful is that? To keep it kind, Cody and I often suggest that people have a phrase or a question or some words that you return to in the middle of a conflict. And you can choose to have this on your job. You can have it in your friend relationships because there's conflict there, right? If you're close, there's conflict. You can have it with your roommate. You can have it with a partner. But here's a few things that we, we, we share to keep respect and kindness in the middle. I'd like to take a minute to process that. I'm feeling upset and a bit angry at the moment. I'd like some time before we work together to resolve this issue. I'm not rejecting you and I'm not walking away from you, but I do need a minute. I can tell you're feeling upset. How can I help you process that? I don't think us walking away from each other right now is the answer, okay? I need a break. Just throw your hands up. I need a break. Before we get into this, because I do wanna have this conversation, but I am not my best at 10 p.m. at night, and I want to be present to you. So how about tomorrow on our lunch breaks or after work, we have this conversation, is that okay? Okay, so there's kindness, there's connection still, and you can ask these questions. The Bible talks about not letting the sun go down on your anger, but let's be real, it always does. Hello? And some people, many people we've met feel very condemned by that verse, actually, because they can't resolve their anger in a day, and that's very, very normal. It's one thing to be angry and have a resolution. It's one thing to just be angry, because that's a real thing. And so it's okay if it takes some time. You don't walk out of anger. I went to recovery for anger, pride, control, and anger for years. So you don't walk out of anger in a day. <laughs> It doesn't get resolved. You don't suddenly just, I'm never irritable. Life is awesome. No, I'm still mad. I got the Holy Ghost and I'm mad. Anybody? Yeah, I know some of y'all lying. <laughs> but it does say that anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. It does say that. And so when you throw these questions up in the middle of your relationships, make sure that you respect the other's boundaries. So that means if your partner or your coworker or your friend says to you, I need some time to process that, you don't go off on them and make them keep going. So you know what, I'd love to respect that. Can we get back together in 15 minutes or so and keep having this conversation? So respect other people's boundaries, okay? They're probably trying to help you out so you don't get, you know, they're trying to help you out. Let them walk away. <laughs> and learn to ask what you need. 
Learn to ask for what you need. It's okay. We all have needs. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. You have needs and they need to be met. And when we don't share that we have needs, what happens is we have a very legitimate need that we try to meet illegitimately. So we might have a real need for emotional connection. We might have a real need, you know, for whatever it is. And if we don't get that legitimate need met, then we'll try to meet it illegitimately. And so it's very important that we express our needs and say what they are. And if you don't know, say, hey, I'm working on it. I don't know what my needs are yet, but I'm working on that. Learn to ask for help because that's responsible adulting. (laughs) That's responsible adulting. And if you are ghosting people, stop. I'm going crazy having many meetings about ghosting. Just stop. And it's not just for dating on Tinder apps, right? Like ghosting is a real thing. You can have a conflict at work and no one ever returns to it. You have a conversation, nobody ever comes back to it. Stop ghosting. It's be a responsible adult. You are grown. I am grown. No one taught me this growing up, by the way. So it's not an excuse to be like, well, that's all I've ever known. Yeah, me too. Read a book. Get some help. Listen to a podcast. Go to counseling. Get in support groups. Go to recovery. Do whatever you have to do to be whole. Because God has that for you. He has freedom for you. He has breakthrough for you. You do not have to walk around in bondage like this. So approach conflict with help, with purpose, with kindness, and approach conflict with grace. It's the last thing. Own up to your wrongs. That's what it means to walk in grace. Grace is humble. Pride says I'm perfect. I'm the center of the universe. And grace says I'm broken. I need help. And I'm humble. So own up to your wrongs. In the person of Jesus who is grace, he has freed us from punishment. That means we don't have to keep staying the same way that we are. Because when you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, even though you don't want to, doesn't it feel like a punishment? Doesn't it feel painful to keep doing the thing you know you don't want to do? But the finished work of the cross sets us free, gives us opportunity for grace. And grace empowers us to do what we could not do on our own. So even though we might have well-worn ways of dealing with conflict, The Holy Spirit empowers us to do what we could not do on our own. That means we can make a different decision. That means when we're about to do the thing that we always do, we can go, God, there's a better way. Here we go. And you can ask God for help. Own up to your wrongs. It's important to remember that no person, no organization exists to complete you. It does not exist to make you happy. It is not existing to make you the center of the entire earth. And it is not existing. The person or an organization does not exist to meet every single one of your expectations. No one can do that. There is no one-stop shop, okay? Nobody is Target, all right? (laughs) Only Target can do that. (laughs) But you are not Target. And the church is not Target. And your workplace is not Target. So all your needs cannot get met there. They don't have Starbucks in your workplace, most likely. Or anything else that you need on some days, right? But no one exists to do that. And if you continue to think that, it will be a perpetual disappointment. So approach things with grace. What could I have done differently? What's my part? What did I do to contribute to this conversation? What did I do to contribute to this conflict? What do I do? What am I doing that's making this thing perpetual in our relationship? What's my part? Because then you can own that. You could say, you know what I realized? My anger is making me very irritable. This is a real thing in our household, by the way. It's making me very irritable. And I'm so sorry. I need to own that and be responsible for it. And I want to let you know that I'm working on changing. Humble. And when you say that, it sets the tone for a different way. And then the other person can have grace for you because, again, they know what your needs are. And that's why it's important to be able to express your needs. 
True intimacy comes when we're okay with our brokenness. Because when we're okay with our brokenness, we're okay with other people's brokenness. And that's really important. And we can get our emotional, our spiritual, and our physical needs met through healthy avenues of connection. So be humble. Admit your need. Own your part. Receive grace and give grace. Maybe your coworker is going through hell and that's the reason they're acting like they are. Maybe they just lost their mother. Maybe their marriage is falling apart. Maybe they feel so lonely and so isolated and so unseen that when they show up at work, that's why they are the way they are. What if you had grace? What if you were salt and light in their life and they could see that there's a different way, that there's a better way? Maybe God strategically placed you there, even if you hate your job, to be a minister to them, to be a blessing to them, to ask some questions, to be understanding, to drop off a coffee from time to time just because you can be a blessing wherever you are. I love it. Colossians 3.12, it says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And forgiveness. I want to talk about that in the one minute that I have. You can come on up here, team. <laughs> it's going to go a little longer than a minute, but not too long, okay? So at the very beginning of our marriage, this is really important to forgiveness. And I know I'm talking about marriage a lot, and I'm sorry about that, especially because we have so many single people in here. So I want you to know this whole church is not centered on marriage to the best of our ability. <laughs> but at the same time, it's also the very place that I work conflict out the most. So that's why I keep using stories from both our dating and our marriage life. But at the beginning of our marriage, I really struggled to, to, to share anything. Like I would just sit, and even if I wanted to talk about something very silly, very little, it felt like there was a muzzle on my mouth. It felt like I couldn't talk, I couldn't speak, and I would just sit there staring. And I was such a stonewaller. I didn't mean to be. It's just who I was in our marriage. I would just stonewall, just sit there. Couldn't get any words out. It was very hard for me. And I remember one time Cody came and he sat down beside me and he just said, I know you're not ready to talk right now, but when you are, I'm here. And it did something. Because it made me feel like, oh, maybe God's with me when I can't get words out. And maybe God's okay with me when I'm not getting it right. And he gave me this beautiful example of what grace and love looks like. He was forgiving me even though I didn't deserve it. And that helped me have the courage to start talking. And what I realized when I went back to recovery, because sometimes you have to do that. I've got 16 years under my belt. Listen, this stuff doesn't go away. It's not like one day you're like, ah, no more problems. That is not Christianity and it's not real life, okay? It's a fake promise out there. You're gonna be 80 and still have crap to deal with. Are you glad you came to church? But it's true. Just break the, the little Disney bubble we have. <laughs> but I realized that a person I really loved in my family, someone who was a very important family member in my life, was a stonewaller. And every time I would try to talk to them, I would ask questions and I'd say things. It was almost as if I wasn't even talking. They would just stare straight ahead and not acknowledge my existence. And I realized I was repeating the very same thing that I hated in my marriage because I had not forgiven this person. I had not taken a moment to say, God, even though that was so foundational, Lord, it taught me so many things. It caused me so much pain. God, I'm gonna forgive them. Because forgiveness doesn't mean that everybody participates. Everyone who's ever hurt you is not gonna come back and say they're sorry. In fact, most of them will not. And so we have to get to a place where we can have forgiveness with the Holy Spirit and forgive others because of how God has forgiven us. Even in that moment, as I was sitting in the recovery group, realizing this, having this massive revelation, God just started giving me pictures of things I had done. And it didn't feel condemning. It's how you know it's God. He just started showing me things that I had done. 
he forgave it. And he forgave that. And he forgave that. And he forgave that. And that was unforgivable, but he forgave that. And that deserved no mercy, but God gave me mercy. And that did not deserve grace, but God, you gave me grace. And Lord, I never thought I'd get up again, but you pulled me up out of that pit. Grace gives us the power to forgive. C.S. Lewis says to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. You know, it's important to say here as I close that forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. And when you forgive, it doesn't mean you're condoning anybody's actions. Some things are inexcusable. Some things are unimaginable. Some things should never happen, but they do. And so it's not condoning the behavior, but it is saying, I will no longer allow you or this organization or this group of people, or this teacher, or this coach, or this person to color the way I see the world. I will no longer see the world through what has been done to me or through what I have done to others, God. I can be free. And so we forgive and let go. And it's not condoning their behavior. We acknowledge that it's inexcusable, that it's unimaginable, and it should have never happened. But at the same time, we can let go. And remember as you're re-engaging, in reconciliation, that there can be no reconciliation without recovery. So my question is always, did you change though? If I haven't seen you, like in a long time, you just pop back up in my life. Okay, cool, we won't, we, we'll see. Because there is no reconciliation without recovery. And sometimes we hurt ourselves over and over and over again because we keep stepping into these relationships with people that we've loved from the past, people who are awesome, but they have not changed. They are the same old person they always were. And we keep hurting ourselves again and again and again. You have to look for evidence of change because that breeds safety, that breeds trust. And then you know you can engage again in a safe and healthy way. Forgiveness is powerful. It is the only thing that really frees us and sets us free. So I'm gonna pray over us. And what I've asked the team to do as we close service today, and I'd encourage you not to leave because I know that we all have areas where we're trying to forgive somebody. I know that the Holy Spirit through this message has been reminding you of your CVS receipt. I know that God wants to deal with us about unforgiveness in our heart. You know why? Because we can't live free when we have unforgiveness. It creates a root of bitterness that stays in us. And we don't have to live like that. That is not your portion. Your portion is freedom and forgiveness and grace and goodness and mercy and connection and love and companionship. That is your portion. So I'm gonna pray for us and then the team's gonna lead us in some worship. Just one song, okay? So you won't be here eternally. I know that's important for some of y'all who like time. All my Baptists in here. The Southern Baptists are like, what are we eating for lunch? Anybody? I was like, look, pastor, it's almost 1130. Wrap it up. (laughs) Jesus, we thank you for who you are, God. Lord, we praise you because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God, you already knew what our triggers would be. You already knew the way that you wired us. And you said, I love you. What I made is so good. And in fact, it's very good. And so I thank you, Lord, that your banner over us this morning is love. It is not condemnation. You are not sitting here thinking, get your act together. Get all the things right before I can love you. But God, you are saying, come to me. Come to me in your brokenness, in your weakness, in your inability to forgive. And I will help you. And so God, I pray that as we worship, you will help us release the things that are holding us back. God, you would really pull a wedge out of people's hearts, Lord. And in that place, in that root, God, you would sow love and you would sow peace and you would sow forgiveness and mercy and grace. And I pray that nobody would walk out of this room different, God, even if they don't feel anything today, God, that it would stick with them. Your loving kindness, your goodness, your grace. God, your abundant freedom that you pour out just for us.
So Lord, we worship you in Jesus' name.